I invite you today to open your Bible, if you will. I hope you have your copy of God's Word and you look with me in uh, your copy of God's Word in Matthew's Gospel. And we're today in chapter number 16, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. Would you tell your neighbor, God's got a word for you today? Would you tell them that now? God's got a word for you today. How many of you all believe that the the Spirit of the Lord is present right here in this place today? Three of us. How many of you all believe the Spirit of the Lord is right here in this place today? That He has a word for you and for me. When we've gathered in His name, He is there in our midst. He is speaking to us. His word is God's revealed word, and God has a word for all of us today. We are talking, we're looking at uh, Matthew's gospel, and we're in chapter number 16, picking up where we were at last week, and we're going to begin with verse number 13, so follow along with me if you will. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Amen. He gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that today that you would speak to us from your word. And that, Father, that our hearts, our ears, will be receptive to hear your voice. You're speaking to us through your spirit and through your word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you forgive us of our sin, our failure, our rebellion, our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our hardness of heart, our lack of love for you, and our lack of love for others. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive us about being lethargic in our faith, pessimistic in our outlook, wavering in our commitments, and unfaithful in our obedience. Father, I pray that today that you might forgive us, cleanse us. Father, we have no ability to 
cleanse ourselves. So we come to you in the name of Jesus, your Son, and on the accomplishment of his work for us and his poured out blood that cleanses us from all of our sin. Father, thank you that you cleanse us. Thank you, Father, that you've given us of your Holy Spirit that convicts us and comforts us and strengthens us and powers us, that brings us to remembrance the words you've given us. Holy Spirit of God, today we plead. Speak to us. Change us. Make us to look more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. In the 16th chapter, Jesus is bringing his disciples together at Caesarea Philippi in a retreat setting. And he says, who do men say, who do men say that I am? They said, you're like one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, Peter, speaking for the group, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. First of all, it's his church. We talked about this last week. He's the founder of it, and he is the foundation of it. It is his church, and I will build it. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will build it with people like you, Peter, upon this rock. People like you, apostles. I will build my church. And it will become a building of God, the temple of God, the body of Christ. It will be the flock of God and a family of God. And I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand up against it. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. The church is under attack today. The church has lost its way, its identity, and somehow lost its power and its purpose. But we need to understand that the church of Jesus Christ will stand, the church of Jesus Christ will succeed, and the church of Jesus Christ will be victorious. And we need to understand that. We are the church, and we are not we do not stand in our own strength, but in the strength of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Today, I want us to think about the authority of the church. And notice with me as we focus on this verse, verse 18. He says, he says <clears throat> in verse number 18, he says, And I say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Then focus with me also on verse 19. And I will give you the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. First of all, he says in verse 19, I will give you. First of all, Jesus is the one in authority. I give to you. Jesus is the authority. Kingdom authority comes from the king himself. 
and the kingdom authority is found in Jesus Christ. Some think, people say, the church's authority is the church's tradition. That is not the authority of the church, it's tradition. Some people say the authority of the church is in its popes and its bishops. And I'm telling you, the authority of the church is not in the pope. It is in the king, and that is Jesus. The, cult, the, the authority of the church is not the cultural mores. The, the authority of the church is not your individual opinion. I hear people say all the time, well, in my opinion, I don't care what your opinion is. God's word is the final authority in our lives. And it's the revealed word of God in Jesus Christ and his word. And the authority of the church is Jesus Christ. It's his church. He's the head of this church. He's revealed himself to us. And his word is the revelation of God. And God has spoken to us in his son. And his word is authoritative. He says, He says in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He is the one in authority. The word for authority there is ekousia. It is is freedom of choice, the right to decide, absolute power, absolute authority. Jesus is the one in authority. He is the king, Jesus is. And he is the one in authority. Now, the Bible tells us again and again in the Gospels that Jesus is the coming of the authoritative one. In Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2, the shepherds are out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord comes before them. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they were terribly afraid, wouldn't you be? And the angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For born for you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. The King has come, and that's Jesus Christ. It was announced by the angels, he is the King, and he has been born. It's declared by Jesus himself that that's who he is, that he is the king, he is the one in authority, that he is indeed the Messiah. In Luke's gospel, chapter number two, we see Jesus in his own hometown in the synagogue, and, uh, and uh, he, he, is, he is there, and he, uh, he declares himself to be the Messiah, the one who comes in authority. And so he is the one that, that, that is in authority. It is demonstrated in, ha- in his life, not only declared by the angels and the Lord himself, but it is, is demonstrated in his own life. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse number 29, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8, we see the authority of Christ. Look with me. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8. In verse number 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. 
in verse number nine, he comes down from, uh, verse number, I'm sorry, verse number one, he comes down from the mountain and there's large crowds followed him. And there's a man with the leprosy who came and knelt before him, said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, said, I'm willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. You see, his authority has authority over disease, authority over sickness. In chapter, Matthew chapter 8, verse number 9, we see the centurion, verse number 5. It says he comes to, he's in Capernaum, and the centurion comes to him. He was a man of authority over a hundred other soldiers. And he says, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He says, am I to come and to heal him? The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you to come underneath my roof but just say the word and my servant would be healed. For in verse number nine, listen to what he says. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And hearing this, Jesus was amazed. He said, truly, I, found no, uh, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. He understood authority. The centurion understood the authority of Christ. He had the authority to heal, and he did heal. Immediately, he was healed. He has authority to bring healing. You remember the man, the leader of a synagogue, comes to Jesus in chapter number 9. And as he comes to Jesus, he says in Matthew's gospel, he says, my, her, he says, my daughter is sick. Please come that she might live. And Jesus left and was following him. And as he was going through the crowd and the, the press of the crowd, there was a woman who was there suffering for 12 years from a hemorrhage. And as she, she just thought to herself, if I could just touch the tassel of his garment, then I could be healed. And in the midst of the crowd, she reached out and she touched the tassel of his garment. And immediately she was healed. Jesus felt the power come out from her. And then Jesus turned and he saw her and he says, have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. At that moment, she was healed. She had suffered under many doctors and difficulties in her life. But Christ brought healing to her. Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. He heals the leper, heals the blind, restores their sight, raises the dead. He comes to this village where the synagogue um, leader's daughter is so sick and when he arrived the flute players are there and the lamenters are there and they're they're crying out that oh she's died she's she's too late she's passed away she's dead and Jesus said she's not dead she's just asleep and Jesus puts them out and he goes into the room and he takes her by the hand, and she's raised to life. Jesus has authority. He has authority over demons, authority over disease, and authority over death himself. He is king. Amen. He's proved it with these powerful signs and the way he lived. Jesus not only displayed this authority, in the healing and the people that he set free from being demonized, Jesus proves his authority by what he declares he can do. In Capernaum, the city is filled with people there because of the miracles of Jesus. They've come to hear his powerful teaching, teaching as one of his authority and not like their scribes. And the house is absolutely full. You know the story. 
And these four brothers come carrying a paralytic man, and, and they said, we want to get him to Jesus. And they said, the house is full. You can't get in. And so they said, just wait and see. They climbed the stairs on the outside of the building, got on top of the roof, tore the tiles off the roof, and lowered their friend right down in front of Jesus. And when Jesus see him, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Immediately, those that are religious leaders, they, they said, blasphemy. They were thinking, who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy. Who's he think he is? God? <laughs> yes. And Jesus, perceiving what they were thinking, looked at them and he said, I have a question for you. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or take up this pallet and walk? They have nothing to say because the truth of the matter is only God could do either one. He said, but in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son, take up your pallet and go home. He stood up, did a Pentecostal dance, walked out with his pallet. And the boys on the rooftop were doing a high five hallelujahs. And Jesus demonstrated he has authority to forgive sin. There's only one who can forgive us of all of our sin, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus not only has authority to forgive sins, Jesus declared something else that was amazing. Jesus said he has authority over the Sabbath. In chapter number 12 of Matthew's gospel, his disciples and Jesus were passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples were hungry, and they took some of the heads of grain, and they rubbed them together, and they ate some of the grain. And the Pharisees saw this. They said, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're working, harvesting, and eating. Jesus said, haven't you read that what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? He entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence. It's not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests. Hmm. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath? but they're innocent. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you knew what this means, if you would only knew what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now listen to this statement. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus above the Sabbath. Wow. Jesus above your traditions and the fulfillment of your laws. It's Jesus. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. The ultimate display of the authority of Jesus Christ is that the precious beautiful Son of God intentionally made his way to Jerusalem to be betrayed at the hands of his own countrymen and Jewish and religious leaders, to be taken, arrested in a garden, 
taken through a mockery of a trial before a Sanhedrin and then before the governor that Rome had put in charge. Then paraded over to Herod and then back to Pilate and sentenced to death. Paraded and mocked and jeered and made fun of as a king, beaten unmercifully, crowned with a crown, and led outside to a place called Golgotha, a place of the skulls where the criminals were executed, and Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life and died the death that we deserve, paid the debt that we owe, and he died for us. And he bore in his body the full penalty of our sin, and the wrath of a righteous God was poured out on his righteous son for unrighteous men and women and boys and girls, and he died for all of our sin and paid for them in full. And he died, and they laid him in a tomb, and they sealed it. But on the third day, he rose again. He is authoritative. It's the authority of Christ. And that's why Peter, when he's preaching, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God hath made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. That's the authority of Jesus. You want another picture? Look with me to the last book. In the first chapter. In Revelation chapter number one, John saw this. Verse number 12, and I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with golden sash wrapped around his chest. And the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. And his feet were like fine bronze as it's fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. And he had seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. The living one, I was dead. And look, I am alive forever and ever and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Woo! I think he's an authority, don't you? He is the one that has life and death, heaven and hell, and all judgment is his, and he is king. He is the one in authority. He is the one that has keys. The second thing I want us to understand is that the authority of the church What is this authority that's been given to the church? In verse number 19, it says, And I give to you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever is bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall already be loosed in heaven. 
Now here he says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. In chapter number 18, he gives, these, gives the keys to Peter in 16. Chapter 16, verse 18, he gives the keys to the whole church. It is the keys to the kingdom. The keys symbolize what? Keys symbolize authority. I sometimes hate keys. Does anybody, anybody here lose their keys other than me? I hate it when I lose my keys. Keys symbolize access. If I give you the keys to my car, you have access to drive my car. If I give you keys to my house, you have access to my house. It gives you authority to be inside. I hate it when I lose my keys. Passwords are the modern key. Anybody ever forget your password? Lord, I don't want to call out names, but Christy can never remember her Apple Apple password. She finally got it in her notes, but if her phone dies, we're in trouble. It's passwords. Sometimes I have a computer generate a strong password, and then it does facial ID to make sure they can use that password. But sometimes it doesn't recognize my face, I think. I hate it because I don't have authority to get into what I want to get into without the right key, the password. Jesus said, I give you keys to the kingdom. What are these keys that he has given us? What is this authority that he's given us? I'm telling you, the authority is, he says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Some people misunderstand that. And they say, well, that's it. The church has authority. So the church gets to decide who gets to go to heaven and who goes to hell. No. It's not the church deciding what happens in heaven. It's heaven that decides what happens. You see, I give you the keys of the kingdom, but whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed. The binding and the loosing is God's work, but when the church of Jesus Christ is about the business of our Father, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, using these keys that he's given us, which is the word of God spoken, the gospel preached, then lives are opened and some lives are closed. But it's we're to preach the gospel to everyone, amen? Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. Power from on high. And you shall become my what? Witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's binding It's preaching the gospel. It's preaching Jesus. It's preaching the good news of Christ. And as we preach it, lives are changed. And we get to get on what what God wants to do in this world. Amen. Listen. Years ago, I was witnessing to a young man. I was just a college student. I was sharing the gospel and preaching the good news to him in the relational way, just talking. And he said, so following Jesus Christ, what you're saying is that God, God, God loves us and that Christ came for all of us. I said, yes. He said, but does that mean I need to 
repent of this lifestyle, of this sin in my life. And I know it's sinful, but do, do I need to repent of that? I said, yes, unless we repent, we'll all perish. We, part of our faith in Christ is turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And I was begging with him to turn from sin and trust in Christ. And he says, you're asking me to repent of something I love. I said, but God can give you life. And then I'll never forget what he said. I'd rather go to hell than repent of this sin. Binding or loosing. One time I was talking to a man, he says, I hate. He hated somebody that betrayed him. He said, I hate that person with an with that an uns, unquenchable hate. And I said, man, you, that hate is destroying your life. He said, I don't care. He said, hate can destroy my life and hate can send me to hell. But I'll never quit hating. Because I'd rather hate than forgive. Binding. Loosing. One night I stopped, had a person I needed to go visit and talk to about the Lord. The Lord impressed them on my heart. I went by to visit in their home. And as I was talking to that person, he said, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know the things that I've done. I've cheated. I've deceived people. I've lied in my business. I've lied to my wife. I've kept secret sins. I'm so ashamed. God could never forgive me. God could never love me. I could never make things right. And I shared with him how that we could, none of us could make things right. That all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And none of us deserve to be right with God. And all of us are cloaked with shame and guilt. But there is one who took all of his shame and all of the guilt. And he took all that you have done wrong. Every one of your sins. And he played down his life. And he died for you. And, and all of a sudden it broke through. He said he loves me. I said he loves you. And he wants to change your life. If you'll turn to him. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all of your sin, my friend. And he'll give you a new life. And, and, and right there in his shop. He prayed and received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And he said, it's the happiest day. Opening keys, opening. I, was, I got to see what heaven was doing as keys were opening. He said, can we go talk to my wife? I said, sure. And so we went and talked to his wife. And so he said, honey, you've got to listen to this man. It's the greatest news. And I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And she heard the gospel that night. She forgave her husband that night. And Jesus Christ came into her life. And she was born again that night. Keys of the kingdom. Binding or loosing. It's heaven at work when we do God's work. This is the work of the church. I was speaking to a group of pastors Friday night. They asked me a question. What's the greatest threat to the church post-pandemic, in your opinion? 
And I said the pandemic's revealed a lot of problems and revealed issues that were under the surface in the church. And the truth of the matter is, it's shown what our lack of commitment is. Most churches are seeing 70 to 75% of their people returning. The money is there, but the people aren't all coming back. But there are new people coming that are open and that God's working in their life. But we better be about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what I think the greatest threat is to the church. There is this insipid polarization and politicizing that has happened in our world and in our nation. And people are more polarized. Would you agree people are more polarized than they've ever been before? And it's all about all these political issues. And it's come into the church. And it's messing us up, my friends. It is getting us off track of what God has called us to do. I am so sick and tired. Can I just be honest for a moment? I am sick and tired of all of the baloney. I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the... You can't even talk to anybody about anything anymore because you don't know where they're at on what issue. And they they get a glazed over angry. There's just so much anger in the society. And that anger is in the church. We're angry about this. Angry about that. We're angry about the pandemic. We're angry about the economy. We're angry about... Schools being closed. We're angry about masks or not masks or vax or not vaccinations. We're just angry, angry about Black Lives Matter. We're angry people. Amen. This is the church of Jesus Christ. The banner that we fly is not a Trump banner. It's not a Biden banner. It's not a BLM banner. The, tr- the, the flag we fly. It's the cross of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Leave your politics in the parking lot and come on, let's be the church of God. Let's love God, love people, and share the good news and watch heaven work in this broken world. Not be the church that is political. Let's be the church that has a balm that saves and heals. That's the church that preaches Jesus and him crucified. I've determined to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the word of the cross is powerful. It's transformative. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 but I can hear it already. Maybe if we spent less time watching cable news and more time in the Word and prayer and worship and evangelism. Well, I went to Bedlam, didn't I? You, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its tastiness, its saltiness, how shall it be made salty again? You can't. It's good for nothing. The the cast out and trampled underfoot by men. 
You, you alone, you are the light of the world. But a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a light and stick it underneath a bushel. But they set it on a lampstand that all may see. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see by your good works. And glorify God who's in heaven. But if there's darkness in you and you claim that that darkness is light... If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? My friends, the church of Jesus Christ, there's nothing like it. It's the authority of the resurrected Christ. It's the authority of God. And he has given us the keys of the kingdom. Finally, the triumphant nature of the church. And he says, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Psalm 34, 7 says, the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Psalm 125, verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Victory is ultimately going to be manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his church and his people will be victorious. In 1 Corinthians, chapter number 15, in verse number But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then the end comes. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet, and now when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. <laughs> the church will be triumphant because Christ will triumph. Amen. Oh, look with me at some of these highlighted verses in the back of the book. In Revelation chapter number 19, 
listened to this white horse rider described. And I saw the heaven open, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war, and his eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. And he had a name written that no one knows except himself, and he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen, and a sharp sword came from his mouth that he might strike the nations with us, and he will rule them with an iron rod and trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In chapter number 20, verse 10, after the thousand years and Satan's released and the destruction of the devil, it says the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet are, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who wins the victory? Christ. And in chapter number 21, verse number 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of a heaven from God, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look! Look! God's dwelling with humanity. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. <laughs> I'm going to get happy. He's coming. He's victorious. Chapter 22, verse 1. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, crystal, clearest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. And there'll no longer be any curse. Hallelujah. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will worship him. And they will see his face. Wow. And his name will be where? On their what? Foreheads. And night will be no more. And people will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light. Now watch this. Listen. And they, and they will reign forever. And ever. Who's victorious? We are in Christ Jesus. This is the triumph of his church. Some people say, I just wish we lived in the good old days back. No, I don't. I want to live in the I want to live in the good coming days of when Jesus is coming.
again. How do we live our lives in light of all of this? First of all, we need to live our lives confidently trusting the Lord. Secondly, boldly proclaiming the gospel to everyone who will listen. Yeah, but pastor, what if they're not the elect? You're not on the election committee. You're on the nominating committee. And you just preach the gospel. Let God, that's above your pay grade. You just preach the gospel. Thirdly, purposefully serving. Folks, it's time to quit playing games and get on the field and serve the Lord and live a life with purpose. You're part of the church of Jesus Christ. Number four, expectantly believing. Let's believe God. Let's trust Him. Let's believe God to do great and mighty things. Fourthly, let's let's be faithfully abiding. Let's abide in Christ, be connected with Christ in the Word, in prayer, the people of God, living right, pursuing God, running from sin. Let's be the people of God. Let's be fervently praying. Praying for lost friends, lost family members, those who are messed up. Let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers in the harvest. Let's pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be a people of prayer. Pray for the kings and those in authorities, yes, but let's pray that for the church that be the church of Christ. Amen. Let's repent, let's praise, let's pray, let's worship, let's live, let's be the people of God in a messed up, lost, dying, decaying, dark world. Let's be God's people. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so true and powerful. God, have your way in our lives this moment. May we turn away from sin and turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.